I thought this was like a super traditional book. And then I read a review, which you're not supposed to do. And it was not a good review, but that was fine. They said, this is a weird book. And I actually took that as a compliment, even though it was like a one star, because I was like, I never thought that I was like a weird writer. I've always wanted to be one. So that's awesome. I'm glad that this is a very weird book. I'm Nathan Maharaj, and this is Kobo in Conversation. My guest is Zalika Reed Benta, 2020 winner of the Rakuten Kobo Emerging Writer Prize for her debut book, Frying Plantain. She has a new novel out. It's called River Mama. It's a story about a young woman named Alicia who we meet at a time in her life where things are they're no longer going as well as they used to go. And then she meets a water deity who tasks her with recovering a precious object, and she's only got 24 hours to do it. Zalika, Reed Benta, welcome back to Kobo. Thank you. This has been, um, well, it's going to be great. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's just one continuous conversation. <laughs> yeah. I, I say welcome back because you have been on this show before. My co-host, Michael Tamblin, interviewed you four years ago. Yes, he did. Yeah. When you were setting out to promote Frying Plantain. In that interview, you mentioned that while polishing it for publication, getting that, that manuscript ready to go, um, that you maybe had started work on a YA fantasy novel. I have to know, is River Mama that book? Yes and no. Um, so what had actually happened was I was writing that YA fantasy and it did have Jamaican folklore in it. And I thought it was going to be like, you know, this high fantasy world building. And um, I didn't <laughs> I didn't really know how to write a novel um, because I had been writing short stories for a really long time. So it was basically like the way that I wrote Frying Plantain was like, if I didn't like a sentence, then I would spend all of my energy on that one sentence. So it was very slow going because I had to have everything perfect before I could continue to write. And when I was doing that YA fantasy, I kind of just let myself go and like verd vomited on the page. And it was very, very freeing, but it was also had absolutely no structure. Um, so I was like 300, 400 pages deep and it was only like halfway done. And I still wasn't quite sure what I was trying to say, I was just, it was basically just vibes. Um, and then mid, like I was literally writing and I was changing it like all the time. So I'd email my agent and be like, I changed it again and I changed it to this. Um, and then mid sentence, I stopped mm. and I opened a new document mm. and I started writing River Mama. And suddenly my chapters were not like 40 pages. They were like 10 pages or less. And the rhythm was good and the structure was good. And I was like, oh, I think I was teaching myself how to write a novel with my uh, with my YA. And then I emailed my agent like, OK, so don't kill me, but I've written <laughs> something else. Listen, I burned down the house. Is that OK? <laughs> exactly right. So I like let her know. And I was just like, uh, if I if you feel like tell me if you feel like I'm onto something with this and I'll go in that path. If I'm if you don't think I'm onto something, I'll just go back and try to figure out my YA. And she she read it at that time. It was about 90 pages when I sent it to her. And she was like, no, I think this is what you've been trying to write and you just didn't know it yet. I think you should continue with this. And that's kind of what happened. So some of the stuff from the YA, because in the YA, they were going on a quest and duffies were coming to, to you know, um, 
yeah, to, to like as obstacles that kind of stayed the same, but the characters obviously are different and the setting was different and the writing was very different. Mm. Uh, that's of course, anybody listening to this, who is, who is, who's a writer, who is, who hopes one day to be a writer and is thinking she wrote 400 pages <laughs> and then threw it out because it wasn't, it was, it turned out that it was, it was, it was actually a training montage. That's a good way of putting it. It definitely was a training montage. Yeah. <laughs> well, we now we now have River Mama. Let's let's get into it. Let tell me about the main character, Alicia. Who is she? What what's going on in her life when we meet her? So yeah, Alicia is a 26-year-old grad and nothing is really going on in her life and that's why she's very ups- like you know, she's frustrated except her frustration has sort of taken on this nihilistic numb form. Um, She, you know, completed her undergrad. She completed her grad. She expected um, all of these job opportunities. And that isn't what actually happens. Uh, She can't get a job that she wants. uh, So she has to you know, work retail, which is fine, but that's not what she wanted to do. And uh, she doesn't really have any friends. She's living at home with her mom. Uh, So yeah, she's just, she's going through a quarter life crisis, as they say, where she's just kind of like, life has no meaning and I'm not going to make it. And and that's where we meet her. So when she sees uh, River Mama in Crookshank Park uh, by Western Road, um, and she's given her this sort of purpose, uh, that's, that's sort of what the the novel is about mm-hmm. the critic uh zuri h scrivens she wrote in a review of frying plantain your first book um that your decision not to explain jamaican food uh when it shows up in the book was like a it was i think she she writes a symbolic fist bump for those of us who may not have seen our younger selves and our dolls or our books um but as i read this book and and as it exists in this world of folklore or draws on this world of folklore, uh, it occurs to me that, of course, folklore isn't food. Um, Busy parents don't have to put myths on the table several times a day to feed their kids. Um, And Alicia herself, after meeting River Mama, she has to go to Google. She's she whatever her 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 you know her heritage and and uh, uh, right to to know this stuff might be. Uh, she she hasn't got a clue. How did you conceive then of of your audience for this book that would draw on on these these aspects of of myth? Um, it's actually really funny because when I write, I actually don't think of an audience. I don't think of a reader. It just it um. It distracts me, um, I think, because I need to have tunnel vision. I need to be very, very focused so I can get what I want out. But I I thought just, you know, from conversations that I've had with other people who are also like, you know, first or second generation, and we we kind of know folklore and we kind of know like certain things of like traditional medicine and spirituality, but it's always in bits and pieces. Uh, so a lot of the times we we either talk to each other or we just end up researching. Like sometimes we'll talk to our families as well, but uh, it's there, A, they're not always very receptive to going in depth or, or B, um, maybe they themselves don't know, which also, you know, happens to it's like a lot of it is also because of colonialism and a lot of um, the traditions and a lot of our stories have been demonized or villainized or, you know, um, 
kind of erased. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there's definitely an oral history there, but sometimes you have to like look to see um, sources and people who've done the work to like trace it and to like actually put everything down. And so I actually thought that was a very diasporic experience for Alicia to do. And it just so happened that because she would have to look things up and because she would have to talk to other people, there would be dialogue explaining uh, mythology and explaining folklore and explaining uh, traditional medicine, which meant that the reader could learn a few things as well. But it wasn't um, me trying to make things more uh, palatable or anything like that. I think that's just what the experience uh, is. And so, like you said, you know, um, it's not food where they have to put down every day. They don't necessarily have to talk about these things all the time. And so that's, that's, that's what Alicia has to go through. Cause she, you know, she's even talking to her mother about it and her mother's like, I don't know. It was this. And we just do it because we do it. I'm not giving you an explanation for it. And she was like, I like, I kind of want more than that. So she has to go. But then the other thing too, with sources is that, um, it's like one line in the book really, or a couple of lines where she has to also be very, um, discerning of the sources that she's reading because they don't necessarily have the full story because maybe they're not from that context or maybe they themselves don't know. And so it's definitely like this really interesting puzzle to try to figure out. And also because it is, um, a lot of it is oral history, what, one person was told may not be what another person is told, but it doesn't mean that neither things are true or neither things are um, are wrong. It just means that there are different dimensions to this to this to these things. And so she also has to reconcile with that because she also learns from um, another character in the story Heaven, and Heaven learns from another character Oni. So it's just basically this communal sort of uh, just trying to figure things out. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask about that that orality too, because um, since since folk tales, by their nature, if you don't put your fingerprint on it, it's almost like you've you've told it wrong because that's that's you should be you should be doing something with it. And it made me think that it's a little like the fantasy genre uh, itself, where where really skilled fantasy writers don't just pick up the trope and deploy it, you know, the way the recipe book says, you know, you, you, you can decide if in your story, you know, can werewolves be taken down by silver bullets? Uh, you know, can, can duppies in your story actually be waylaid, uh, waylaid successfully by a, by a handful of rice? Did you feel like you had a free hand then in the way, uh, any author of speculative fiction might when they're, um, deploying, figures from a another lore so i actually originally um had trouble with that mm. because i was just like you know if it's not in any of the stories i read can i do that can i do that and i was thinking to that like i was thinking about that to myself and then I was like, I'm writing fiction. I can absolutely do that. It was particular, <laughs> like, of course I can do that. Um, it was it was for like a particular, I mean, it was a few things, but um, one is the rolling calf, which is a very prominent uh, duppy in Jamaican folklore. And there are variations of what the rolling calf looks like. But in my um, story, the rolling calf breathes fire. And I hadn't read anything that said that it could do that. Um, and I was like freaking out. I'm like, oh my God, what if this isn't true? And I was like, no, 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 it's my book. I can do it. Like, it's not like, I'm not trying to say that this is, you know, real. Like I'm, I'm, I'm talking about, yeah. So I was just like, yeah, I can, I kind of 
just told myself to like get over it. <laughs> and I actually sometimes um, put my anxieties in the book. So mm. um, when like for that particular one, Heaven, who reads and knows a lot more about folklore than Alicia and then their other character, uh, Mars, she says, she's like, I've never read that uh, Rolling Calf could do that. And so I was like, okay, this is like me trying to talk to myself, just being like, it may not have been in these stories that we grew up with or stories that we read, but this is different. This is fiction. This is a book. Um, so that this is my version of that. And that's also kind of why I mentioned uh, Greek gods a couple of times, because um, I've read a lot of books uh, that deal with Greek mythology or deal with Greek gods and they do whatever they want to do in those books. And so I was like, if they can do that, then why can't I do that? Mm -hmm. And so again, I, I sort of put that in dialogue too, because River Mama is in, um, you know, she's in Toronto, she's at Crookshank Park, she's in the Humber River. And Alicia's just like, but you're like a Jamaican deity. Like, how come you're here? And she's like, if I was Poseidon, would you be asking the same thing? And so it was just basically me kind of having a conversation with myself as well, just being like, let it go. Like you're, you're, you're having fun with it and you're doing your own interpretation of it. And that's fine because it's literature and that's what you're supposed to do with literature. So that's sort of how I kind of, you know, assuage my uh, anxieties about it. it was just to put it in the book and be like, okay, and like, and 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 have a conversation with myself a little bit about it. I mean, it's terrible to have to carry the burden of representation all the time. But like, I didn't know River Mama before, right? Yeah. But I had heard of Poseidon, and it was a it was a useful exercise for me to go. Oh yeah, no, yeah, no. Me and me and Alicia are sitting there, like you know, a little uh, shame faced. <laughs> all right, yeah, you got me. My apologies, River Mama. <laughs> we'll return to our quest post haste. <laughs> exactly. I did want to pick up on the point you made earlier that Alicia she hasn't really found her people. She's a lonely person. Her friend group, as far as she has one, is coworkers. Uh, she had classmates she refers to. They they were in New York when she was doing an MFA. They didn't stick beyond that context. Uh, that's a very particular kind of loneliness and kind of grief. That's the that's the grad school come down. Were you writing that kind of from experience of, you know, completing your own MFA at Columbia? Uh, there's definitely a lot of Alicia or me and Alicia in terms of what she was feeling at the time mm. when she graduated. Um, just, yeah, that sense of loneliness and that sense of not knowing what to do with your life and that sense of just not really feeling like you have a community, which was actually something that I had to deal with in terms of writing more specifically, where uh, I was... I was so used to doing workshop for two years um, that when I started writing outside of grad school by myself, but I had like no one to share it to because I was or share it with because I wasn't really keeping in contact with the people that I was at school with. Mm. It felt very lonely um, because I was just like, oh, yeah, like I'm actually like pretty much on my own. But uh, my friend, I have a friend who also graduated, uh, but she's in a different, she's in like the arts. Um, and so she was going kind of through the same thing as well. And so I, it is just something that I've, I've noticed, um, just 
graduating in general. And when I was working, uh, cause I was working at a retail store, I was working at the gap mm. and it was interesting because there are many different people who work in a retail store from many walks of life, many different ages. And so also seeing sort of, um, people just graduating and also not really knowing what to do and going through that phase, but in probably like a few months or maybe a year before. So I was like, oh yeah, I was there. Mm. I felt that. Mm. And, but me being settled more into like a sort of numbness being like, I don't know, it just is what it is and them freaking out. So I was like, it was, it was really interesting, like seeing the various ways that people who have just graduated, um, see those phases that they're going through that I was going through myself. And so, yeah, I really just wanted to capture that with Alicia as well. I've, by the time that I actually wrote that I was in a very different place um, because I had just, you know, I, I had written Brian Clanton and I was, and I had like a, a different job. So I was just like, I'm, I'm definitely more emotionally um, secure than I was at the time of Alicia's age. So I ended up uh, watching a lot of Buffy uh, seasons three and season six uh, because she's in that mode. And it did definitely like bring back um, how how I felt at the time. And I think I like read some like angsty Facebook posts that I did. And mm. I was just like, oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> so it's just, it was an interesting writing experience. Though she's lonely. Alicia's not alone. She has, um, I mean, they're, we'll call them their friends by the end of it. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, they're certainly yeah. like, they're certainly work friends. There's, uh, there's Marcus or Mars and heaven. I want to ask about heaven specifically to start with, because she's so smart, but she's very okay. book smart. Yes. And you put her in a position where she realizes that her facility in the texts of Caribbean studies um, aren't a lot of good when some when someone's got to make a you know make a potion or like you know actually deal with with a deity or or some supernatural being and and that's where the character Oni comes in. But tell me a little bit about Heaven. Is is I I, I confess this is the last like biographical attachment I'm going to try to make between a character and you. But I wanted to know if if that was uh, how that felt writing Heaven. Heaven was the most difficult for me to write actually. Um, just because she was so smart and she kind of knew everything. And so when I was working with my editor, my editor's like, you know, Alicia goes through an arc and Mars goes through an arc, but heaven's kind of consistent. Um, so how, how are we going to give her an arc? She deserves an arc. And I'm like, mm. no, you're absolutely right. So I had to think about it. And again, it's sort of thinking about, people reading up about their culture or I was also like a I did a minor in Caribbean studies mm. when I was an undergrad at U of T and so just you know being in the classes and you know reading about all of these different things but sometimes we would seize up when it came to doing something practical so it'd be like oh yeah we're gonna go to like a specific place uh, during election to do so-and-so like are you who's who's gonna come and we were just gonna like I don't know if I want to do that I think I kind of <laughs> want to stay here in like you know in the classroom right. and so I was just thinking about things like that and, and and how that could be applied to heaven where you know um they all have their different 
things that they need to bear where Alicia kind of just doesn't want to deal with it at all. She just wants a job. She just wants money. She's not thinking about the spirituality of it. And then you have Mars, who's just kind of like, who knows even less than Alicia and doesn't think has actually anything to do with him. And then you have, so it's like, so then what would be heaven's thing? She would be the exact opposite where she thinks it all has to do with her, but she, she hasn't actually put in the work. Um, and so now she has to put in the work and she's realizing things are not what they seem. Um, and, and so she's going to have to like, you know, go through that. So that's sort of how I pieced together for heaven, but she was in, but she was definitely, the hardest to write and uh someone actually messaged me uh they had just finished reading the book and they said that they related to heaven the most and I was like oh thank god because I don't know how you know she was going to come across because she was so difficult for me um but even like with things like that I I had great help with my editor who would sit down with me and ask me questions like so what was she like in high school did she have like what was her friend group like like what's her favorite song like all these different things to just get to know her better um so so yeah so I, basically I tried with all three of these characters to approach the quote-unquote diasporic experience in different ways and approach them from different angles and so that was going to be heaven's angle where you know she's book smart but she needs more practicality with dealing with these things yeah i think i think i related most to her too i think i think a lot of us who are drawn to a book like river mama we're like oh it's, it's caribbean folklore infused in oh this is great i i studied post-colonial literature i and then and then heaven and then heaven you know it's like i know nothing i just know books and i'm like yeah me too <laughs> i'm an idiot uh perfect i loved it but let's let's talk about mars because mars is kind of easy to skip past he tries desperately to be a wallflower he really wants to like <laughs> step out of frame tell me about mars how did how did he come to you how did he enter the story for you Mars, uh, Mars was fun and funny. And um, again, just sort of based on like different conversations I've had with different specifically men, um, just about how like, I don't know, this has nothing to do with me. I don't really want to deal with it. Not to say, of course, that all men are yeah. like this. Hashtag not all men. Talking okay. to not all men. Exactly. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, so so that's kind of how he started, but also because um I wanted a voice different from Alicia's, where Alicia is just like, absolutely not, that is appropriation, absolutely not, this is colonialism. And I just wanted someone to be like, I mean is it though like is it really that deep because these are conversations that you do have in real life um but he also needed to go through an arc so him just trying to realize that he can't step out of frame this absolutely has to do with him and him trying to be a wallflower is very different from alicia who also kind of doesn't want to deal with it but has to deal with it because River Mama came to her specifically. Um, Mars is just kind of like le legitimately thinks that it has nothing to do with him. And he doesn't feel um, that he is as attached to the culture as um, the other two are. And then they pointing out being like, but you you partake in it mm. like quite a bit and you are like you you were named after like a Jamaican national hero man <laughs> like I think I think you're a part of this 
Um, and so getting him to that place where he's he's finally just like, okay, like I'm in it, you know, you have my you have my sword, I'll be Aragorn for you, um, was really fun. And it's funny writing like secondary characters because Frying Planton is very much like from Kara's mm -hmm. perspective. And of course you had, you know, the grandmother and the mother and like her friends and stuff, but it's very much like it's first person, it's Kara's. Uh, it's very, very centered on Kara. Not to say that River Mama isn't very centered on Alicia, but they both have to go through arcs. And so it was kind of like a seesaw because like heaven would be getting more time. And then my editor's like, okay, but what about Mars? Mm -hmm. And so I had to like balance them both out without overtaking Alicia. Um, but yeah, uh, I I have a very soft spot for Mars for sure. Well, I mean, how many characters in literature get to, um, you know, embody both Aragorn and, and Marcus Garvey? <laughs> Where have those lines crossed before? I think here and here only. Very true. You've said in another interview that getting characters talking to one another, um, that helps you understand them. Was that the case with this trio as well? Did bringing them into conversation um, help you help you flesh them out? Absolutely. Um, just hearing their different voices and what their perspectives would be. And also just because they all use the same slang. So I didn't want them to all sound the same, even though they were using the same vocabulary a lot of the time. Uh, so just knowing when they would say what and how was really interesting. And, uh, you know, also like, Mars versus Alicia or Alicia and heaven. And then all three of them together, cause they're very different. And then also like, you know, heaven and Mars, those, those are all very different dynamics. Um, so, so yeah, getting them to speak, especially the first few chapters, cause the first few chapters are pretty dialogue heavy cause nothing has really happened yet. And they're at a party and they're, but I wanted, you know, I wanted to start off with what their dynamics were before the quest um so getting them to talk to each other and and getting them to sort of like joke with each other or make fun of each other in a very good natured way um definitely helped me figure out what these dynamics are who these characters are and what their journey would be uh throughout the throughout the novel mm -hmm. One of the reasons I keep asking you about characters and I keep asking you about your relationship to characters is because I think River Mama has a lot to say about the the inherently fragmentary nature of 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 character, of self, of of you know how we see ourselves and present ourselves. I, I think of Alicia has this sense of the life she's actually living you know, as numbly as she's living it and some idea of what she should be doing, that there's like, like a fork in her timeline and there's an Alicia elsewhere in the multiverse living a different, maybe more appropriate story. How do you know when you've got a character right on the page, when you've got all of the pieces um, wrapped together and that they're, you've now got, you've got a character in balance for all the pieces that make them up that they're, they're, they're done. I don't know if I ever think my characters are done, to be honest. Mm. I mean, if I read like River Mama front to back now, I am very proud of it. I love that book. I probably also would change a lot just because I'm in a different place um, than I was when I was writing it. So that's the thing. I think for me, it's more just more realizing that at the time that I am writing it, is there any more that I have to say? Is there any more 
is there any way else that it could go? Is there, is it, so that's really where I am. What also knowing that probably like three or four months down the line, if I read it, I'd probably make a different decision because that's just the nature of how I write. Um, and so, so that's kind of just how I, how I approach it. And with um, these characters, I think for me, it's, when I realized that I would read something, it's definitely when I realized when I actually think uh, whether or not readers agree that they started at point A and they're now at point, not necessarily Z, but at least point F. Um, <laughs> when I'm just kind of like, okay, he isn't the same character that he was at the beginning because of the way that he's interacting with these people. Um, I don't know if that's really answering the question just because I'm like, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm still trying to be like, <laughs> I'm not, I, I have to be intentional with, um, thinking about it because that's another thing too when I write is I don't I try not to think about it too much I kind of just let my process go whatever that is or my characters go because if I think about it I'll get in my head and it'll be like we spoke about in the beginning where if I don't like this sentence then I can't continue so there's a certain amount of things where I have to let just happen organically without thinking about it even though I'm sure there are a bunch of different reasons as to why uh, but if I think about those reasons I'll get caught up so I, I just kind of try to let it ride um, and so that's why when I when I have like very wonderful questions like these I'm like no that's a very fantastic question and I wish I had a <laughs> profound answer um, but I don't because I don't like to think about it. Uh, it it kind of just becomes this mess of words to ask about genre um, I felt a playfulness early in, in the in the book the the Christmas party for example where where it opens I thought are we are we doing a friends to lovers romance with Alicia and Mars and l l listen I'm not I'm not spoiling anything for anybody uh, all I'm saying is that's what I thought and and then I had other things to think about um the second chapter felt like like straight up horror now now we're you've you're going now it's Clive Barker it's Stephen King you know <laughs> <laughs> and as a book overall, I find it hard to categorize, which is why, of course, I asked you at the beginning, is this is this the YA fantasy? Because in many respects, it struck me as YA. And and that's not to disparage YA at all. I was I was having a conversation. Actually, I was talking with uh, my co-host, Michael, about this book. And I was saying, like, I feel like the book is YA, even though the people aren't teenagers, because what is YA anyway? It's hard to characterize this, this book at all, because it is from from beginning to end. It, it's a race against the clock a thriller trope. How conscious then are you of genre as a writer? You've already said the reader's not too much on your mind, but are you, are you enough of a fan of, of genre that you feel like, uh, like it's fun to play with a certain paint box? So the funniest thing, I thought this was like a super traditional book. And then I read a review, which you're not supposed to do on Goodreads. And it was not a good review, but that was fine. But they said, this is a weird book. And I actually took that as a compliment, even though it was like a one star, because I was like, I never thought that I was like a weird writer. I've always wanted to be one. So that's awesome. I'm glad that this is a very weird book. And I think the reason why it switches genres or, or feels a lot is because I do my best. So one way I know that I'm, I'm on the right track is if it feels to me when I'm writing it like a movie. I really like cinematic, um, I really like cinematic books. And so 
River Mama, I find is very visual and very cinematic. And I was watching a lot of different things. Uh, so like I said, I was watching like seasons one and season, not seasons, seasons three and seasons six, I believe you said. Yes, six, uh, Buffy. But I was also watching Superbad because it takes place in a day. And I was also watching um, <laughs> Scott Pilgrim versus the world mm. because it's also in Toronto and it's very vain, uh, zany and it has like a very, like a momentum. But I was also watching uh, Tangerine directed by Sean Baker because it also has a sort of like movement towards it. They have nothing to do with each other, mm. but I really wanted a certain vibe and I really wanted a certain feel and I really needed to be in a certain mind space. And I was also listening to a lot of different um, music. I have like a brainstorm playlist on Spotify. So all of these things were happening. And basically I just wanted it to feel like a movie. Um, and because I wanted it to feel like a movie and there are certain parts in the movie that's gonna be more like horror and there's gonna be, you know, but there's also a quest. And I also wanted to treat Toronto like it was Middle Earth. Like mm. I wanted to treat it like they are going through these like, you know, fantastical sort of uh, obstacles like the TTC. All of those things happen where I wasn't necessarily conscious of genre. It was just like, I want this. This part feels like it would be more thriller than this part. And so, and and that's kind of how I approached it. And in terms of the beginning, it's actually really funny. The beginning is probably the hardest part that I, I, I'm really bad with ends and I'm really bad with beginnings. Um, and so the beginning where I was just like, um, I am going to have, like, I, I felt like I am just going to have to set it up in, in this sort of, you know, Christmas party vibe. Uh, a, because I think it's a good place to have Alicia just sitting around, like, hating everything. And B, because, you know, there's all of your characters can can be together and you can have, like, this conversation. But whether or not there was going to be romance in um, the novel was a very big question. It wasn't a question that I actually anticipated when I written my first draft, but it was a conversation I was having with my editor, like through every draft that I was doing. Um, so, so that's also really interesting that you got like rom-com vibes from it as well, because I was just like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that, that was a very big conversation. Um, so, so yeah, it's just more like I said, it, it's kind of just what I feel serves the the moment at the time. And I really want you to feel like you're on the street with Alicia and lights are going out and I, yeah that but at the same time um i hope there's also a certain amount of depth not to say that genre doesn't have depth because it absolutely does but i didn't want it like i i wanted it to be fun i wanted it to have a momentum i wanted it to be funny at times but i also wanted this to be like a book that talks about like you know community and talks about ancestral ties and talks about colonialism and talks about the environment which I also did with frying plant and I think I like to leave a lot of stuff up to the reader I don't necessarily like to put like point like big neon signs towards things where I'm just like this is there mm. and I'm not running away from it but this is how I'm exploring it I'm exploring it through dialogue or I'm exploring it through the way the characters are reacting to it but I'm not necessarily going to like write an essay about this particular topic. I just hope that you as a reader are going to, you know, have your own interpretation of, of what that means in this book. And you can have your, your own essay in your mind about it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You, you mentioned how 
how deliberately you wrote frying plantain sentence by sentence, um, you know, not, not passing anything you couldn't live with. And that there was the YA fantasy book that, that, that you tried to cure that you tried to like, see if you could write more fluidly. How did river mama come out of you? It came, um, it came pretty easy. Now it, it was, um, I wrote it while I was, while we were in lockdown. So I wasn't doing anything else. I was, I was writing and I was working, you know, um, at my day job, which is at a nonprofit, but I mean, I'm a homebody anyway, but there was something about just like, <laughs> I just did not leave, uh, my, my room really. So I wrote it very quickly. Um, the ending took a little bit more time and there's a specific sequence that uh, was the latest edition actually because I wanted it to take place somewhere else and my editor was just kind of like I don't think it works and I tried to do I tried to tweak it for like our next draft and she was like yeah I still don't think it works mm -hmm. um, and so I was like okay so then I, I changed it and and she was absolutely right I love the sequence now um, but yeah it was it was pretty smooth um, and I was like I wish writing was like this all the time uh, because <laughs> I'm not like, there are definitely things that I would have to think about a lot. So um, for me, but I also, I, I did things differently in the sense that I outlined River Mama first and I didn't necessarily stick to the what things happened in what chapters, but it stayed in the general area of when I thought that it would happen. And I found at least for this work, it, it definitely helped me. And there were certain points where I was like, I, I kind of gave myself like, I need to just get to this point. So a big point is um, stuff that happens when they get to U of T. Mm. There was a lot that happens there. And, and so I was like, I just need to get to that point. And then I got to that point and that was kind of like probably the most difficult sequence for me to write in the sense of like, I, I, are we staying here too long? Is it kind of like the walking dead when they were on the farm and I just wanted them to get off the freaking farm or is it like, you know, are things happening the way that I wanted them to? And, um, in a lot of ways, to be honest, the U of T sequence is kind of in terms of thematically in the diasporic experience and what I was trying to get with these characters, it's kind of the crux of that because they're doing all of these traditional things, but they're broke millennials and they're not necessarily doing it the right way. They have to do it in a, in a university dorm and they're trying to figure things out and they're trying to, and they're, it's kind of haphazard. And I was like, that's, um, that's my book really mm. so that was a really important sequence for me and and that probably took longer than other things but um but yeah like it was definitely not as laborious and painstaking and maddening as uh frying plantain where it's just like i just want to move on from this paragraph but i just wouldn't let myself or i couldn't let myself mm. I think it would be easy to fall into the trap of seeing this as a Toronto novel because, because it makes some jokes and there's some illusions and there's, there's a, ah, there's just a, there's just a big, it's not even an Easter egg. It's a big fat ostrich egg towards the end. That's, that, that's just <laughs> readers yeah. just, just go with it. Big fat ostrich <laughs> egg. I, I wouldn't want to fall into that trap because uh, I was, you know, I was driving home from a camping trip and we were coming down the, the, the Don Valley Parkway. And it hit me uh, because I was I had, hadn't finished the book yet. And I was just sort of my my mind was still 
with with this trio on their quest. And it hit me how, of course, River Mama would show up in Toronto. This city is shaped by water. It's this this is the city is profoundly uh, dependent and and uh, built around the Rouge, the Humber, the Dawn. Was that on your mind? This specific place's relationship with literally water and rivers. That came to mind kind of after I decided to write it. What actually happened was at the beginning of the um, novel, there's a poem by Lorna Goodison mm-hmm. called The River Mama Wants Out. And I had encountered that a while ago, but there are, there's a stanza where in the poem, uh, Lorna, uh, Lorna Goodison talks about how the River Mama wants to stop protecting the waters and she wants to meet P. Diddy and she wants to experience snow. And I was like, experience snow. What if River Mama came to Toronto? Because we have snow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just so that's kind of how that started. And um, when I was thinking of like, you know, how River Mama would come, um, I was just like, there are actually like so many rivers or bodies of water here to choose from. Um, because there are so many different, like you said, like it's it's the the city's relationship to water. And that sort of, you know, got me thinking about that. And that was sort of in the back of my mind. And also like we were locked down and I was locked away. Um, but I also went to every place that is in the book. So I went to um, the Kirkshank Park. I went to, you know, a different place that also has with, you know, the, the Don uh, River. So I was also out and I was also just seeing the water um, in the city as well. So, so that definitely kind of stayed at the back of my mind. Hmm. And I ask uh, as my last question, did you start up another project while you were writing River Mama? When I like finished editing and there was nothing else to do, there were no more copy edits, there were no more proofreads and everything was sent off. I was just, I kind of had like, hangover energy was like, I need to do something. So I started working on something, um, dark academia vibes, romance, because I've always wanted to write a romance. And every time I try to write a romance, I've ended up writing something else. So I'm just like, no, no, we're going to do a romance this time. And it's going to be YA and it's going to be great. Um, And yeah, like I was just getting, I really like dark academia vibes and I really like gothic vibes, but I also like getting into the different um, problematic aspects of those things. And so having like my characters be uh, black and, and going through like these different things and things that are, you know, uh, historically very white space um, is is something that I'm also kind of teasing out or trying to tease out in whatever it is that I'm writing right now. Hopefully I stick with it and I don't do something else where I'm like, actually, I was really writing about this. Um, but but yeah, that's that's sort of what I'm working on now. Dark Academia romance vibes. Okay. We'll we'll uh, we'll see if that turns into yet, yet another training montage, I guess. <laughs> yeah. For your for your like hard sci fi trilogy that's apparently coming. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Zalika, thank you for joining us. Yes, thank you for having me. This was a pleasure. I have been speaking with Zalika Reed Benta, author of the new novel River Mama. Find it at Kobo and Conversations home on the web, kobo.com slash conversation. There is a link in the show notes. 
Subscribe in your podcast player to catch every episode. And if you enjoyed this one, please tell the person you'd most want at your side if you were sent on a quest by a deity uh, of any of the elemental forces of the earth. Your choice. Kobo in Conversation is produced by Nathan Maharaj. That's me. And this time around, it was also hosted by me. Thank you for listening. <laughs>